Hi, I'm Ben Rizzuto, wealth strategist at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of futures. At Janice Henderson, we are committed to helping you invest in a brighter future for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. Thanks very much, John, for right now on Fast, a trifecta of earnings movers after the bell. As you can see there, we'll go inside the numbers for Netflix, United Airlines, and Regional Bank, embattled Regional Bank, Western Alliance. Plus, new data showing a record level of pessimism about the economy, the future, and investing. But could all of this bearishness actually help fuel a new bull market run for the markets here? And later on, rolling the dice on casino stocks, another record-breaking day for Mickey D's. And the next move, the chart master sees for Amazon.com. I'm Dominic Chewin from Melissa Lee tonight. This is Fast Money, the big show live from the NASDAQ market site right here in Times Square. On the desk tonight, you got Tim Seymour, also Carter Worth and Dan Nathan, also Julie Bell over there as well. We'll start with an earnings alert on Netflix. Those shares well off, and I mean well off their after-hours lows after the streaming giant reported mixed quarterly results. Netflix also saying that it's delaying the rollout of the password-sharing crackdown here in the United States. CNBC's Julia Borston has the details. Julia, the stock is up three-quarters of 1%, but you and I both know that just 10 minutes ago, I saw it down about 8 9 10%. Yeah, that's right. Netflix shares first plummeted. They were down more than 10%. Now they have bounced back into the green. And this comes after a really mixed quarter from the company. Now, earnings beat expectations by two cents, but revenue fell short of analyst expectations. And that's despite the fact that the company had better than expected subscriber growth in the first quarter. It added 1.75 million new subs rather than the less than 1.4 million that analysts had projected. So that means lower average revenue per user. Now, the company also guided to lower than expected second quarter revenue as well as earnings. But on the upside, Netflix co-CEOs Ted Sarandos and Greg Peters said that they're on track to meet their 2023 financial objectives and that two key initiatives are doing well. First, engagement with the ad-supported tier is above their initial expectations, and it's not cannibalizing their core ad-free business. They say, quote, we continue to be pleased with our progress across all key dimensions, member experience, value to advertisers, and incremental contribution to our business. And second, they are moving forward with their crackdown on password sharing. They announced plans to launch paid sharing worldwide, including in the U.S., in the second quarter. They say that the fact that they delayed this launch from the first to the second quarter will result in a better outcome and that the revenue benefit will now fall in the third quarter rather than the second quarter. So that gives more optimism for the second half of the year. And Dom, it pretty much explains why we've seen this bounce back in the stock. A huge one for sure. Julia Borston, thank you very much. I'm sure you'll continue to monitor what's happening there with Netflix. Uh, So let's go around the horn. Let's let's trade this up. Tim, I'll look to you here first on my right. Uh, Netflix, it was quite the bounce. Well, it it was a bounce and and it's a complicated story because, again, you know, the net ads, uh, the subs that were I I saw plenty numbers on the street north of two million or around two million. But yet these numbers were better than expected. And I do think that the password sharing rollout is very important. We've been waiting for that. The fact that they waited this long means that the back half 
half of the year is, is stacked. The things that to me are the most important, though, is the financial objectives that they said they're going to meet, including a free cash flow number. And, and they're going to be well north of the $3 billion they guided for on 23. And that, to me, in the streaming space is what it's all about. Their content spend, plus or minus, and maybe they'll talk about reeling it in. That hasn't really been their case. Um, but uh, again, operating margin at 21%. This is a company, one year ago today, it was the second of these blockbuster sell-offs. Um, and, and think about where we are. That, that's that's the most amazing part about it. it. It literally was a year ago. Yeah. This stock was down um, 77% yeah, at its yeah. lows. And when you think about it also, so there was two things going on. There was valuation. We know that that was a reset there. We also know that this is a company that was dealing with the pull forward during the pandemic and the deceleration of a bunch of those trains. But they also made a bunch of real fundamental things. And, you know, if anything that we've learned about this company since covering it, at least on Fast Money over the last 15 years, they are not afraid to make big fundamental changes to their business model. Um, and, you know, that was obviously part of the downdraft that we saw last year. But to your point, Tim, the stock's up 100 percent off of those lows. And to see the sort of knee jerk reaction in a low volume aftermarket sort of thing, it just tells you that investors want to continue to own this name for the fundamental reasons that they put in place last year. And they're going to continue to guide to them. It doesn't make me feel like I want to go out and buy it right here because they do have a lot of volatility on that sub number. You know, we've seen that quarter to quarter. That's why I think it was like three quarters ago. They had a down 35 percent gap because they missed it kind of hard. So sometimes they don't have great visibility on some of the metrics that investors really need them to, which causes a lot of volatility um, in the aftermarket after results. But this one seems okay right now. Which is so crazy because the subs number has been one that we've been talking about for years at this point now with regard to Netflix and everything else that happens. Uh, I mean, the chart, there's no doubt about it. It's doubled in essence from the lows that we saw in November. the same circumstances matter. There's nothing worse than a high-flying growth stock that starts to stumble on the growth metrics. And you see that and there's nothing more sort of sinister to the downside, the way a Netflix can collapse 70, meta, that kind of thing. And then you get so overpriced, mispriced the downside, you get ricochets like this. But once you've had that sequence, an epic winner that has an epic collapse and now an equally epic bounce, you then start to go into a fallow period, more likely than not. And that's what's happening. Notice even here, intra-market, post-market, we're down, we're up, but it's unch. Netflix belongs here. Okay, so if Netflix belongs there, Julie, I I wonder... Is there a reason why you would want to use this particular earnings report as a catalyst for any kind of a buy or sell transaction? Or is it better just to wait on the sidelines and wait and see what else happens after this earnings report happens? I think I want to hear from the rest of the streamers. It's interesting to note, you know, the free cash flow guidance is interesting because they are spending less on content, but they've held their content guidance for, I think it's 14 billion next year, which just, I mean, just think of that number. It's enormous. And so I think what's interesting about them is how are they able to compete against, you know, the HBOs and Disney's and seeing how everyone is working through streaming and the economics. I just don't think the economics are quite as good as everyone had hoped. And I think we're starting to see that coming through. But, you know, from an operating margin standpoint, very still very strong. It's just hard to own it once it's moved so much. So, so Julia, to, to that point, I, as you look as you look from your kind of investing standpoint about whether or not you want to be in certain streamers versus others, Netflix has kind of now set the bar, the benchmark. What then would you be looking for, context, commentary, or otherwise, from the other streamers out there, whether they be pure play or not? Yeah, I think it's. I, I would like to know how aggressive they're going to be in terms of chasing after the streaming content. How much are they going to spend? You know, we have a writer strike that's happening now ish 
Um, and I, I want to know how that's kind of playing out. What's fascinating to me, too, is that you're seeing the kind of traditional broadcasters saying, we actually want to come back into movies. Um, and even Amazon is playing into that. So I think understanding how content is moving a little bit more traditional over time has been pretty fascinating. Okay, so Tim, we've been showing a lot of different other charts up there. Comcast, the parent mm -hmm. company of this network, Paramount, Warner Brothers Discovery, they've just relaunched and rebranded that Max product. Is Netflix the place you want to be in terms of streaming content or well, is it somewhere else? I, I'm in Netflix, I'm in Disney, and, and there's a couple I wouldn't go near as well. And, and I think Netflix is so far ahead of making this a profitable business. And, and, and again, we know how painful it was for Netflix for a long time. And I was on the other side of this trade for a long time. But you know, to me, it's a case where the multiple, uh, yeah, it's nothing to get excited about. It's not, it's hardly cheap, but I mean, this is a company that at least has a multiple when you look at the streaming business and a lot of the others do not. I, I, I want to see the password sharing roll out. I think it's, it's all a creative on some level. If you think about it, this is this to me is the gravy. This does, I don't worry about ARPU at all. The fact that the ARPU fell and maybe they're defending that in terms of what uh, the ad supported model works. I, I like it. And just back to the chart, uh, Carter's right. I mean, if anything, we filled in the gap from that Q4 number that was released in Q1, right? So you're back to this kind of 350 area, which was the first uh, what do you take the, the elevator down the after taking reset. the escalator yeah. up? Yeah. And, and, I, and I think you have to consolidate a bit around here. I don't think it's going to get away from you on the upside. Side, but but I feel very comfortable owning it. You know, it's interesting that so here we are. They're giving Q2 guidance. And they're telling you that they're on track. Now, again, you know, the, a lot can change in, in, you know, we have nine months until the end of the year. But when you think about the out year, as far as consensus estimates for 2024, you're looking at, you know, 25 percent plus EPS expected growth on 12 percent sales growth trading at 23 times. And I think this is something that, you know, People have not been able to get comfortable with the valuation for a whole heck of a lot of, you know, many years of late here. And when you think about the operating margin that it just gave, I mean, I think that gives you increased confidence, at least um, from the earnings perspective. So, again, I think it's defensible. I think to Carter's point, and, uh, and you just said it, it filled in that gap. It's up 100 percent. It's still on, it's still down a lot from the all time highs. And it's probably going to actually need to demonstrate this ad supported model and the password sharing and what that really means. All right, for them. Before we let you go, I mean, I, I asked Tim the same question. Is, is there a better chart out there right now than Netflix? I mean, some these streamers have, by the way, all kind of bounced off the lows significantly. Right. I, I suppose I'd go with Disney as an early stage bearish to bullish reversal. All right. There we go. All right. So for more on Netflix's results, let's bring in Rich Greenfield of Lightshed Partners a man who scrutinizes the media business for a living. So, Rich, I, I, I don't know what to tell you other than that that stock move is pretty dramatic. What exactly stood out to you and what exactly in your mind drove the steep reversal that we've seen? Well, two things stood out, Dominic. One, the Canada commentary. So if you read the release, there was a tremendous amount of investors who were very worried. They were looking at early data, both um, subscription data as well as sort of Twitter commentary of people really pissed off in Canada. They were seeing consumers upset about the password sharing changes. And there was a fear that cancellations were piling up and that effectively, I was hearing from investors just a couple of months ago, Netflix is likely canceling its rollout of password sharing. They can't move forward. Canada is such a disaster, they can't do this. The release today comes out and says, Canada is actually going great. It took some time, but they actually have more members in Canada today than when they first rolled out password sharing. And so it is a net positive, not just to subscribers, but clearly to revenue growth. And that's what investors want to hear. That's why I think the stock is ripping back is because this the fear factor, which was password sharing is too hard to accomplish this crackdown. It is obviously not true. 
They're rolling out the U.S. in Q2, and it sets the stage for a big growth in both subscribers and revenue in the second half of the year. The other thing that I think is really important in driving the stock is advertising. There's been a lot of noise. I'm sure you've heard it and talked about it on CNBC over the last couple of months that advertising was off to a slow start. They revealed today that the total ARPU, meaning the amount of money they make per sub per month from the advertising subscribers, they only charge $6.99 a month, but they are saying that that advertising subscriber is actually more valuable in terms of revenue per month than their standard plan. That standard plan is $15.49. So that means the advertising ARPU on top of the sub ARPU for those subs is over $8.50 a month. That's like Hulu territory five months after launch. That's literally mind blowing. So, so Rich, I want to I want to bring you bring you something that that Julie Beal talked about just a few moments ago. She mentioned the writer's strike. All right. And it wasn't so long ago that whenever we talked about media streaming or otherwise, we talked about content being king. There is a looming writer's strike. How much could it impact Netflix, perhaps others? And just how much should they be worried about a potential hiccup because of this looming writer's strike? Well, if you remember back to the pandemic, Netflix actually works a year ahead of time. So they have a tremendous amount of content stockpiled. They'll actually be able to probably last through this far longer than others. Most importantly, because where does a lot of Netflix content come from? It actually isn't U.S. content. More and more of the shows that you're watching in the U.S. come from overseas. And so that importation of overseas content is something that none of the other streamers have and is a meaningful advantage for Netflix versus its peer group. And remember, a a slowdown in production actually boosts free cash flow. That's what happened to Netflix during the pandemic. We actually wrote a a piece yesterday of why we think the writer strike could actually be a short-term positive for both Warner Brothers Discovery, that's WBD stock, as well as for Paramount, P-A-R-A stock. Both of those companies, if you saw a slowdown in production, that would help their free cash flow in 2023, which is really a core focus for investors in both of those stocks. So I don't think a writer strike is a problem for the sector, uh, at least in the short term. If, uh, you know, if, if a writer strike lasted a year plus, all bets are off. But uh, our assumption is you'll probably see a three plus month writer strike and it's going to be problematic for the writing community and certainly is going to hurt anyone who's attached to the film and television industries in Hollywood. But I don't think it's a reason not to own Netflix stock. If anything, it could be a benefit to Netflix. All right. So it sounds like you're bullish or more constructive on Netflix. Is it the favorite pick, though, among streamers? I think if you're investing in streaming, the the one thing that caught Reed Hastings and now the Greg Peters and, and Ted Sarandos, who become CEOs now, the one thing that caught them was the aggressiveness of the peer group. They never expected Disney to lose $4 billion, Peacock to lose 2500000000 Paramount to lose $2 billion. Now that all the other streaming services are starting to pull back and really focus on profitability, it actually means that Netflix is actually in an advantage position versus the peer group. This is exactly why you want to jump on Netflix now, is that the advantage they have versus the peer group is actually extending, and that's a meaningful benefit. Others just don't want to be Netflix anymore. The chasing Netflix is sort of over, and that means, effectively, Netflix is going to win. All right. The race. Not really a race anymore. Rich Greenfield, thank you very much. Always great to get your thoughts. We'll see you soon, sir. Thank you. All right. Julie Beal, he addressed some of the issues that you talked about before. What do you think? Is this Netflix trade one that you would want to get into? I, You know, I still want to better understand and have the economic model for 
um, when they do ad supported and the password sharing. I kind of agree. I think it's probably going to be okay. Password sharing is a little bit like when you have a party and you have that one guest that won't leave and you're just kind of like trying to push them out the door slowly. And I think that's a little bit what they're trying to do is get those people paying. And it's not, it's not easy to do that. So I think I want a little bit more data than Canada. I mean, those are like sweet people, right? They're not Americans. So I, I'd like a little bit more data before jumping on. But I agree very much on the point that international data, uh, international content, they're able to leverage that in a way that no one else is. Our neighbors to the north are sweet. Our friends our to the north. People. I mean, there's some of the few so people sweet. that stand behind us all the time. That. We love Canada. Ju I love Canada. Julie struck the right chord there. All right. Uh, now, now let's move on to the last-minute settlement in the Fox Dominion $1.6 billion lawsuit. Just before opening remarks and statements were set to start, Fox and Dominion reached a deal. And Eamon Javers has been following the case and has the details, including what the settlement number was. Eamon. Dom, dramatic moments here in Wilmington, Delaware. In the end, Fox didn't want to go to trial, but it took until after the jury had been impaneled and the presiding judge had given them their first instructions until the deal, worth more than $787 million, could finally be done. And now media, uh, media mogul Rupert Murdoch will not have to testify about his TV network's conduct before a jury of his peers. The jury never even got to listen to the opening statements in this case. On day one, the judge sent them out for lunch and called them back nearly three hours later only to tell them that the parties had resolved the case. I was in the hallway outside the holding room in the tense moments before this announcement, Dom, and I could see one of the co-founders of the private equity firm that owns Dominion Voting Systems break into a huge smile as he talked to the Dominion legal team just before this announcement was made. Fox's legal team left the courthouse in silence, declining to answer questions from reporters out here on the street, but the company did issue a statement saying, we acknowledge the court's rulings, finding certain claims about Dominion to be false. This settlement reflects, reflects Fox's commitment, continued commitment to the highest journalistic standards. But Dominion's team headed straight for the microphones in contrast, saying truth matters and lies have consequences. Stephen Shackelford is the Dominion lawyer who never even got to deliver his opening statement. He hinted that this isn't the end of the legal wrangling. Money is accountability. And we got that today from Fox. But we're not done yet. We've got some other people who have some accountability coming towards them, and I'm very proud of the team from Sussman Godfrey that has worked tirelessly for this case, and we'll move right on to the next one. Now, a person familiar with the case tells me that reference to moving right on to the next one and other people having accountability, that's a reference to cases against Trump 2020 attorneys Sidney Powell and Rudy Giuliani. Clearly, the Dominion team here, Dom, is not done yet. Back over to you. All right. Thank you very much, Eamon Javis, for that. Coming up in the show after the break, we've got more After Hours action coming your way. Shares of United Airlines and Western Alliance on the move after reporting their results. The details from those quarters coming up next. Plus, the seemingly unstoppable stock. That's the mystery chart you're looking at. We're looking at the name hitting its sixth straight. Sixth straight record high today. How much longer can this run last? We'll get answers when Fast Money returns after this break. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. 
I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor. YahooFinance.com, the number one financial destination. YahooFinance.com, that's YahooFinance.com. Welcome back to Fast Money. An earnings alert now on United Airlines. That stock is gaining altitude after reporting a smaller than expected loss in the first quarter. I'm sorry, guys. The airline also issuing an upbeat outlook for the current quarter as it sees an uptick in international travel demand, something we kind of heard from Delta, right? So let's get to Phil LeBeau with the numbers there. Phil, what can you tell us and why is United up one and a half percent? Dom, we've got three reasons why the stock is moving higher. First of all, a smaller than expected loss. For the first quarter, the company lost 63 cents a share, 10 cents better than the uh, analysts were expecting. Revenue coming in roughly in line with expectations at $11.429 billion. That's reason number one. Reason number two, the guidance for the second quarter. United's way above where the street is right now, expecting to earn between $3.50 and $4 a share. Going into this afternoon, the street was at $3.05 a share in terms of earnings expectations. Revenue up 14 to 16 percent. That's in line with analysts' uh, expectations. Cost per seat mile flat to up 2 percent. And then there is reason number three, the company's full-year guidance. They are reaffirming full-year guidance of earning $10 to $12 a share. Why is that significant? The street today is at $8.62. United is not coming down. United is reaffirming that guidance. It'll be interesting to see what the analysts do. One reason why, Dom, they see their international traffic growing twice as fast as domestic. The demand is that much greater, and Transatlantic will be red hot this summer. Lots to discuss with United CEO Scott Kirby, a Squawk Box exclusive. You don't want to miss this tomorrow morning. We'll talk a little bit about the guidance, and we also want to talk to him about what happened in March, because... What he said in March in terms of demand cooling off a little bit, that spooked the market, not just on shares of United, but all of the airline stocks. Clearly from their guidance, you can see that they are expecting a strong summer. Dom, back to you. All right, Phil LeBeau, thank you very much for the update on United Airlines. Guys, let's trade this. Carter, I'll start with you this time. We heard kind of similar views from Delta just a couple of weeks ago here, about a week ago, in fact, at this point. Ed Bastian talking about this idea that they're seeing record summer travel bookings. They're anticipating it and that the premium traveler is kind of like where they want to be at. Higher margin, better, better revenues. Is United kind of in that same league as Delta overall? Sort of not in my wheelhouse, but I will speak to what you started. Let's trade this. And that's the issue. I mean, the New York Stock Exchange Airline Index is the same level it was in 1994. So that's called a whole lot of nothing. But can you trade this group, which has been down and down and down, is very near its COVID low? I think you can. There's an ETF, Jets, right? And it has all the elements of a bearish to bullish reversal. I would be long uh, here, Jets. All right, the Jets ETF. 
Dan Nathan, yes, what do sir. we think? Is, is, is United the one that you want to be in well, in the friendly skies? Well, it's interesting. So th- this whole idea of the premium traveler and, the, and they're talking about, you know, the, the, the continued demand. I think there's a lot of cross currents there. If you look at just in just transportation and, and hospitality and lodging and that sort of thing. I mean, some of those expedient bookings are not they're telling a, a slightly different story. We know that a lot of corporate travel has not come back yet. So maybe there's still pent up demand um, for vacation, that sort of thing. I mean, listen, these stocks, you know, last week it, it was different story than what we're hearing today because it did not seem like a place you wanted to be and I think his chart that he just showed us on Jets is really approaching as a group a really like almost an inflection point I think you would say so so maybe the fundamentals if they can make it through this sort of period maybe they are about to also inflect so so Julie Beal I'm I'm watching you because I have the benefit unlike our TV audience of seeing you right in front of me right now on a virtual monitor you've been nodding along to some of this right now I didn't want to put you on the spot but I know that something (laughs) resonated something struck the tuning fork with you right now about united in the comments what exactly was it and is united the the place to be i I think dan is absolutely right in that we need to be paying attention to business travel because that is far and away the most profitable seat on the entire airplane it's wonderful to have a great summer and we know that ticket prices are high but they absolutely have to be high because they're negotiating with a pilot contract, it's going. their costs are just going up. I don't see any end in sight to higher ticket prices. But my real fundamental question is, what's going on with business travel? Is it going to come back to the levels we've seen before? Something else that Scott Kirby mentioned was that the lows are lower and the highs are higher. That's what they're noticing in terms of demand. I just hear that as we're more cyclical, and that's not really something I love to hear. Tim, what do you think? Airlines have derated more than any other part of the industrial space. I'll take Carter's trading stock and say they are, they are the greatest trading stocks of all time, and that's how you treat them. United was a $51, $53 stock you know, a month ago, and a lot of that was because they were treated like they were regional banks. Delta's guide is best in class. Delta's the place. That's the chart that's breaking out. But I, this is the time to buy them. This is actually the trading group that right now it's time to trade them. All right. Coming up the show, guys, the earnings keep rolling in. We've got Western Alliance on the move in a big way after reporting results. We're digging into those regional bank numbers coming up next. Western Alliance, by the way, off pre-market highs, still up 14%. The Bears, by the way, showing their claws. CNBC's All-America Economic Survey is back, and it ain't looking pretty. How inflation and rising interest rates are impacting the American public. You're watching Fast Money live from the NASDAQ market site right here in Times Square. We're back after this. Imagine a beautiful afternoon. The sun is shining and you get to enjoy it all because you just sat down on your John Deere mower. The smooth ride lets you escape into your yard. Intuitive controls make you feel like you're one with the machine. And with attachments for every season, you can enjoy it all year long. We could keep trying to put you in the moment, but to really understand what it's like to drive a John Deere mower, you just have to get in the seat. Learn more at johndeere.com slash get in the seat or visit a dealer near you. Welcome back to Fast Money. Western Alliance, those shares are surging. They're up about 15 to 16% in the after-hours trade. The move is coming even after the regional bank missed revenue estimates and reported a credit loss provision of more than $19 million. It was $3 million-odd in Q4 of last year. Deposits were also down 11%. Western Alliance's conference call takes place tomorrow at noon. Tim, I turn to you for this. The Western Alliance number is something that I've been covering all afternoon and have been kind of scrutinizing for weeks now at this point. 
we knew the deposit number. They told us back on in the mm -hmm. beginning of April what it was going to be, in essence, pre-announcing what was going to happen. The bump up here might be short covering, might be some fundamental buying, but are names like Western Alliance, First Republic, PacWest, are they safe to get into? Well, if you look at the chart of the KRE, let's see what it does tomorrow. I mean, we're starting to get, we, we needed to see this insight. And we've said this so many times on this desk. Um, that chart's telling me that I don't want to own this sector. I'm not, I'm not running in there anytime soon. And I'll say, I, I haven't spent a ton of time, in, in fact, anywhere near as much time as you on Western Alliance. But I tell you, if I look at a bunch of the regional banks, I can tell you their credit exposure is something we haven't even really got to. So a lot of this has just been about deposits and looking at uh, unrealized losses on securities portfolios that really, I think, are the biggest part of this. So um, I, I don't think it look, it's great to get more information coming out of this, but this to, is not enough to be jumping into the space. Whereas what we heard out of the money center banks, and what we heard out of the brokers was a very different story and, and something that I think you can get behind, uh, even if there is also credit ahead for them. So, Dan, Dan, I mean, traders love action. Yeah. And this is a lot of action uh, up and down for, for names like Western well, Alliance. So really interesting to see it up so much. And you mentioned might be short covering the way Tim was just talking about the carry. So the regional banking index, the way it's been trading here over the last couple of weeks, it just hasn't had a no short. It just nothing. You know what <laughs> yeah. I mean? So it, it almost feels like people are actually waiting for maybe a bounce because there's a lot of bad news in them, right? And if you think of the First Republic thing, what did they get, a 120-day reprieve? It feels like we might be looking at some of these same situations again in a month or two or something like that. So to me, I, I, Tim's point is a great one. If the KRE as a group can't hold the gains, there's going to be one-offs that are up 16%, but there might also be some that are down 20 or 30% over the next couple Dan, of weeks. Before, hold yeah. on one second here. Before I let you go, it's not just Western. I'm sticking around here, Don. I, I know. You, I, I mean, know you. I'm here for the hour, but, but we've they got, pay we've me got that a one. limited amount of time yeah. and a lot of oh, ground to cover. Goldman Sachs and Bank of America were also out today. How'd you feel about? Big banks. Well, it's funny. I, I mean, two very different banks, right? And Bank America was up in sympathy with the way J.P. Morgan traded on Friday with Citi and Wells Fargo, that sort of thing. So the fact that it was unchanged to me was kind of fine here. Um, Goldman, um, a, a pretty interesting one. It'll be really interesting to see the juxtaposition versus Morgan Stanley later in the week. What do you think, Carter? Well, in terms of West Reliance, you get big bounces when you have epic collapses. Remember, the KRE dropped 36% from its pre-crisis moment to its low. This dropped 90. It was an $80 stock that went to 7. So you get a bounce, but it doesn't change the circumstance. Something's wrong. Stay away. Julie, quick thought from you on the banks. Uh, interesting to see Goldman not doing well in bond trading in a completely incredible quarter for it. So that's concerning. All right. Coming up on the show, is it time to dip into this chip? The last bear standing on NVIDIA changed their tune in a big way to a double upgrade. But is there more room to run for this surging semiconductor stock? Plus, stubborn inflation, rising interest rates, and a possible recession. It's no wonder Americans aren't too optimistic on the economy. But is that a bad thing for stocks? We'll dive into the debate coming up next. Welcome back to Fast Money. Another check on the markets today. The three major indices closing virtually unchanged. Unch, as investors digest even more earnings reports. But shares of NVIDIA, though, getting a boost after a double upgrade at HSBC. Analysts, previously the only ones with a sell rating on that stock, saying that they were too cautious and then more than doubling their price target to $355 per share. And NVIDIA is already up about 90% this year. I, I would characterize it as a mea culpa type upgrade. Some other names also continuing their run. McDonald's, Lockheed Martin, both hitting another set of all-time highs. 
Dan, I want to focus specifically on Lockheed. It's up 2.5%. It's a defense contractor. There's a lot of focus on those guys over the last year or so. Is LMT the place to be? Well, a lot of focus by a gentleman who usually sits in the seat. And, you know, an elderly guy. His name is Guy. Um, and so elderly, he's been, yeah, so he's been talking about the Lockheed Martin for a long time here. And, you know, when you think about this, I think it's pretty interesting. When you consider 2023 expected earnings and sales growth flat, trading at a market multiple that we all think 18 and a half times for this market is pretty expensive here and making new all-time highs. There's just a lot of things going. There's a lot of places where you could have been investing over the last year, okay, where you could have been making a lot of money that are not that cyclical for all intents and purposes. So, Guy Adami, good on you. 500 bucks for Lockheed broke out today. All right. Meanwhile, new data from our CNBC All America's Economic Survey painting an ominous picture for stocks and investors as well. Our Steve Leesman joins us now with the details. How bad is it, Steve? Well, uh, Dominic, high inflation, high interest rates, and elevated recession fears have Americans in a pretty foul mood on the economy, and that spills over into views on the stock market. Just 24% of the 1,000 people we surveyed across the country in our CNBC All-America Economic Survey say now is a good time to invest. That is the lowest in the survey's 17-year history. 53% say it's a bad time. That's the second highest bearish sentiment we've ever recorded. Now, sometimes the public gets it right, and they're right about it's a good time to sell. And sometimes their pessimism is a good contrarian indicator. But there's something else at work this time. When people used to be down on stocks, there was no alternative. Now, of course, there is in the form of higher interest rates. 10% of of the people we asked said, They changed banks looking for a higher rate. 9% uh, moved to a money market, 8% bought a CD, and 6% bought treasuries or muni bonds. Put it all together, one in five Americans say they've made some investment change to take advantage of higher interest rates. Well, all of this happens because there's more work in these downbeat attitudes on stocks. It's also the economy, 69% are pessimistic now for the future. That's a record high. 53% think the economy is going to get worse. That's a record high. And there's that 24% saying it's a good time to invest a record low. These negative economic views come with 83% of Americans not worried about losing their jobs. So the near record low unemployment is not part of the equation. Instead, it's inflation coloring everything, Dominic, and it's not a pretty picture. It's coloring All right, Steve Leisman, thank you very much for that. Uh, So there are more gloomy indicators as well on the street, too. The Bank of America Fund Manager Survey at its most bearish level of this year. The AAII sentiment indicator also showing extreme bearishness. And then 95% of investors surveyed by J.P. Morgan see the market falling. So could this be the case I mean, that much bad news, guys. Sounds like they've been listening to Dan Nathan every night on the show. When you parade that much bad news, guys, when you parade that much of it out there, this is one of those it's got to be a contrarian indicator type things. I'm going to go to Julie right now because she has been animated off camera, and I want to get her thoughts. Is this the contrarian indicator, Julie? Is this the time to invest? Because everybody is just so dour and sour. Look, I mean, I remain invested in good times and bad times. I just don't think I'm ever going to be able to time the market. And that's not just because I'm dumb, although I am. It's really a function of, you know, being able to time these cycles is impossible. I think if you're investing right now, the key is to invest in really good quality businesses that have earnings, good earnings. Because if we are in a recession, they're going to need to be able to survive and do well. But I, I do worry a little bit about the employment picture and, and consensus estimates that I think still need to come down on large cap. 
Well, you know, what's interesting, Tim, maybe in the two to three weeks leading up to this earnings season, as is the case often, analyst estimates come down. There, there tends to be a little bit more of a re-rating, if you will, right? People get a little or bit more bar, bar setting a little bit lower and lower, mm-hmm. and we are seemingly getting better at jumping over this lowered bar. And it seems to happen every quarter for earnings season. But is there something about this earnings season that should have people more optimistic? Because we are doing better than we thought. Well, we've done better than we thought for the last four quarters. And, and if anything, you know, coming into this, the last two quarters, the earnings revisions and the speed at which they've been getting cut, um, I think, is, is the notable part. A lot of people have asked the question. So if we had, if we priced in uh, essentially in an earnings recession, two successive quarters of that, you know, are we good? Um, I, 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 and I don't think we are. I don't think we are in terms of where earnings settle out. But, but this wall of worry is what this market's been doing. We've had a bull market in the middle of a bear market um, for at least the last five months. Um, you can make an argument since that October 13th CPI. And, and some of that was just expectations on inflation and on the Fed. So um, what I think is most notable about all this pessimism out here is the, the people that are p- positioned uh, in pessimistic uh, you know, posture are the institutions. Retail has gone nowhere. They have not capitulated at all. We've seen retail flows. They're as strong as they've been. Um, so you know, that, if anything, should maybe worry folks, um, except for that you know, this is, it's been pretty smart for the retail investor to hang in there because they actually have done all right. Carter, I've heard some traders refer to this general vicinity in the market that we're at as a no man's land. They, they can't figure out if there's a catalyst that kind of gets you more towards the upside or if the bias remains to the downside. There's nothing really that tells you. It's like a churn. Is it a fair way to characterize it that oh, way? For, for sure. Uh, there's a phrase I like. It's called the paratus. It's what they're trying to say is what do, you ducks do? On a pond. what do you do with <laughs> this moment? It's where you start your narrative. One could say we're up 18 percent since the October low. We're also unchanged over two years. The truth is the market is churning and it needs something to come along to inform the direction. And as of now, maybe it's going to be these earnings in the next uh, three weeks. But as of now, nothing is moving the market. Tom, you made this point, okay? So the expectations, I think Fox said had, um, you know, 7% earnings for Q1 have declined over the course of the last four months, okay? So you think about that. So we're going to have lots of beats here, and we have, this is a pattern that we've seen over the last year and a half. To Tim's point, we've seen big rallies into and out of earnings season, but then we've seen retest of the prior lows. And so I just think about it a little differently. Yes, you know, retail um, might have stuck in there as far as flows, Tim, but if you think about over the last two years, since 20. 2021. They've been torched they've in a lot been of high multiples. Destroyed. I mean, yes. like, like so, crypto right. and NFTs and SPACs. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. So, I think it, like I think there's a lot of people out of the market because they don't got any money left. Like that's for one. Well, okay. I, I think that's a that's a fair point. I mean, there's a, there's so much garbage that that was torched and isn't coming back. But but I again, I look at the the flows the flow data that we've seen. Um, Steve's point that's the most important one is they have a job. These consumers have a job. They're working, and and the pessimism is is there right now. But but every time I've been uh, in the market, and we've had this kind of, of pessimism, it's been taking the market. Well, right. we're, we're, we're up, but but we're up. The S and P's up twenty percent off the October lows. The Nasdaq sure. is up twenty percent off the lows. Right. You know what's also up? Rates. They're going to five percent. Fed that funds was, is going to five percent. That okay? was the tide coming out and showing us who's naked. Right. right. That was that was what happened. The rates. Right. But I'll tell you this. I mean, you can say contrarian indicator all you want. And Tim made a really good point. OK, I don't know a hedge fund person out there who's bulled up on stocks right now. Do you, Carter? Well, you talk to all is very, and, very and, and let me let me tell you something. And a lot of strategists are really negative, And you can say I am and a handful of other folks that, that are on our program or whatever. But I mean, rarely are this. And I'm just going to say this. It may sound arrogant. Rarely are these uh, these sorts of minds like collectively so wrong here. And I think it really speaks to 
in my opinion, just how little clarity we have about the environment that we're in. I think by the back half of this year, the word stagflation is going to be imprinted on screens on CNBC all day long. And I don't think that's going to be favorable for risk asset prices. That's probably why Julie talks about staying invested and not timing the market. Guys, <laughs> All right. Coming up is the time to ante up. Casino stocks are jumping again today. Find out if any of our traders are rolling the dice on that sector. That's coming up next. Yes, I did it again. Oops, I did it again. And later on, rally in the retail space. The chart master seeing a buying opportunity in one heavyweight. That trade when more fast money returns after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Casino stocks jumping today, led by Las Vegas Sands. Morgan Stanley reiterating its overweight rating and boosting the stock's target price to 64 bucks from 62. That's 8% higher than where LVS closed today. Uh, Tim, I'll turn to you. What's your take on the casino outlook overall? I'm very bullish. I've been bullish since for, I don't know, a, a year. And, and we're going to get a full EBITDA recovery in Macau. We're going to get a full GGR recovery. Uh, it doesn't hurt that you got better than expected GDP growth out of China last night, and they really haven't had to even goose the system. I don't love China. Um, I just love a recovery. This is one of the great reopening trades that took forever to, to unfold. And, and, and ultimately, there is consumer exposure. There is you know, a, a risk of at some point sentiment turning, but so much of their future has been tied to Macau. And once you got the license renewals out of the way, you really have just this whole China trade that we've been watching in slow motion. Stay long into these numbers. Just really quickly, I mean, the chart says it's up 62% over the last year. Is it already priced in China reopening, optimism, I don't think Macau, so. and everything else? I don't, I don't think so. And, and, and it's hardly expensive relative to itself. Um, you know, again, if you, if you call this at you know, three bucks a share in earnings, um, you know, I, I think I think if these all of these casino stocks lost two thirds of essentially their multiple during the bottom. And that was that was, you know, that was 50 percent ago. All right. From casinos to cars, folks, Tesla set to report after the bell tomorrow. Shares are up about 50 percent this year. But one options trader is betting the EV stock is about to slam on those brakes. Let's head over for more options action to Mike Co. Mike. Yeah, so uh, Tesla did trade slightly below average uh, options volume today, but it was still the second busiest single stock. Just gives you a sense of how many options on this thing typically trade in a day. Right now, the options market is implying a move of about 6.9% by the end of the week. That's in line with the 6.5% that the company has averaged over the last eight reported quarters. The trade that stuck out to me was a collar. That's purchasing a put, selling a call to finance it. It was the April 175-2833 calls that were sold. Basically, this participant is hedging a $35 million stock position. They're going to have about 5% risk to the downside, 13% participation to the upside, and that whole trade costs them about 1% of the current stock price, $1.88 a contract. All right. Mike Coe with a big trade on Tesla there. Thank you very much. For more options action, by the way, be sure to tune into the full show Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time right here on CNBC. Coming up, amazing Amazon. Carter's diving into the charts on this one to find out if you should add it to your shopping cart. Stick around. Fast Money is returning in just two minutes after this break. Welcome back to Fast Money. Amazon rallying more than 20% since the start of the year in line with its big tech peers. But the chart master still sees a buying opportunity for that stock. Carter takes us through the charts. Carter. Well, so the, the circumstance here is, is Amazon's performance relative to key retailers. So you can look at the XRT, which is a broad basket, 89 stocks, 2.5 trillion. And its relative performance day-to-day, week-over-week 
is much, much better than so many other retail-based stocks. There's also this, of course. Its low in January was identical to its COVID low. So you have a perfect double bottom. You've got all the elements of a bearish to bullish reversal. Okay, so that's what the charts say. Dan, what do you think? I think this is going to be one of the most important reports that we get for Q1 for two reasons. AWS, which is one of them, and it's going to give us a good read on kind of enterprise demand, but both small and medium businesses which use their cloud service, and then also what they have to say about the consumer and retail. And we know that they've been desperately trying to kind of get rid of some of those prime services that we've all become accustomed to, free returns, one-day re- you know, delivery, all that sort of stuff. So costs are going to be really important there. But I just think it's a good name because of the spectrum. I'm not that optimistic on AWS. We've seen a meaningful deceleration year over year. Julie Beal, what do we think about Amazon? Is this one that you would like to own? I, you know, I agree with Dan, and I'm not just saying that because I like him. Uh, but <laughs> I, I think what's interesting about their, about their business is it does give you a lot of insight into different tiers of consumers, right? They, they touch all of, all of us. And I think it's important to keep in mind that their business is so expansive that sometimes we lose track of, of who we're talking about. But I think it's more of a you know, high-end consumer. I'm really interested, too, in what's going on in their media business, right? They've become actually pretty dominant in ad sales. All right. I'm a prime watcher. I don't know about you guys. All right, coming up next on the show, your final trades. After that, Amazon is maybe one of them. Maybe it's Tesla. I don't know. Stick around. We'll have those after the break. Let's get another check on shares of Netflix as we head out towards the end of the show. Back in the red after its latest earnings report, the company adding 1.75 million subscribers in the first quarter. That was, by the way, more than analysts expected. It's down three quarters of 1% right now. Time now for the final trade. So we'll go around the horn. We'll start with you, Julie. Uh, Verisk, it's a company that does insurance and uh, it has all the qualities I like. It's not sexy, durable earnings. All right, Tim. Tom, thank you for being here. NHL playoffs tonight, by the way, Battle of the Hudson, go Rangers, and Las Vegas Sands. I mean, as my friend Carter just said, uh, that's a beautiful consolidation there at 60 bucks. All right, Carter. Hi, Amazon. Uh, a beaten up stock that looks to be making the turn, a bearish to bullish reversal buy. Play for 118. All right, for Mega Cap Tech, it's pretty good. Dan Nathan. Yeah, Tesla reports tomorrow after the close. Shocker. I'm going to have a short position in it, defined risk via the options market. But I think there's a kind of one up, two or three down setup here. And I think that's one of the worst looking charts in the market right now. All right. Thanks very much, guys, for watching Fast Money. We've got Mad Money with Jim Cramer starting right now. We'll see you tomorrow. Signing off on the NASDAQ market site right here in Times Square. All opinions expressed by the Fast Money participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Fast Money participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Fast Money Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Fast Money Disclaimer. I know how to run a hair salon, but for small business insurance, I chose my State Farm agent. She's a small business owner too, so she knew how to help me personalize my policies. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to an agent today.